Take your Bibles, if you will, with me this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to be in several passages this morning, but we're going to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we have much to learn. As we come into this last C, this is consummation. We have gone through the eight C's of biblical history, and this is the only C that is not yet history for us. But it is biblical history. Now, this is the C that we still look forward to. Remember, the entire series has been entitled Trained to Disciple. You see, as we move through the eight C's of biblical history, you and I recognize how God has moved and changed His people to follow after His will. As we have moved through all of them so far, except for this one, I am reminded, as I was last week, that I am tackling a subject that is next to impossible to do in one sermon. And yet I'm still going to try to attempt it. Uh, We have uh, such a marvelous opportunity to look at what is to come. That what I want you to understand, what you're going to hear today is merely a glimpse. In fact, I couldn't even finish preaching it if I had an eternity to preach it. And so we are going to learn something that is going to take us an eternity to learn. But we are going to start with the first aspects of it. Today marks a day that for you and I will forever be etched in the memories of what we saw ten years ago. During the morning hours, we watched the unthinkable. Planes intentionally flown into buildings for the sole purpose of killing as many as possible. As the dust and smoke settled, the reality of an unspeakable evil pressed down hard. It was spoken about boldly by our president at the time. It was understood in our hearts and our minds. But for the believer today, we reflect on that day and we realize that the evil which motivated those jihadists has the same root as the lies that we tell the lust that we harbor in our hearts, and the pride that is rooted in every single human being. See, the reality has a twofold effect. First, we realize that you and I, through this series, have been equipped to make disciples. That means that you and I have the opportunity to speak truth to a very, very evil situation and to share the truth of God's love. That's our first reality. The second effect of the reality is with great anticipation, we long for the day when the roll is called up yonder. Because that is a day when evil will no longer be here. That is a day where no effect of sin will impact us ever again. That is the day we long for. That is the reality that is to come. But right now, we live in the here and now, and so we're going to see both aspects of it. The idea that I want us to focus on this morning is is this. It is with anticipation that the believer waits for the day that the twisted curse of sin will finally, finally be removed. Let's lift this message up before the Lord. I will tell you, as I did last week, it is... A broad subject, 
And I'm standing, as I was last week, humbly before you, recognizing that I'm going to do a very feeble attempt to explain it. But it is something that we must learn. It is something we must study. And so pray with me over this message and over the passages that we are about to study. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, I recognize that the scope of eternity and the scope of the magnificence of heaven is really well beyond our comprehension this morning. But that doesn't mean that it is not something that we eagerly anticipate. It is not something that we cannot understand, at least to a point. And so I pray that as we move through this message this morning, that you would impact our hearts in such a way that we would praise you and exalt your name as we eagerly wait for this day when the roll is called up yonder. Lord, we recognize that as our closing hymn in a few moments will be victory in Jesus, we recognize that this was only provided by the blood and the resurrection of our Savior. And for that, we exalt your name above all names. Lord, bless us this morning. Give me the words to say that they would be of you and that they would be impacting our hearts and changing our lives as we anticipate our heavenly home. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we conclude our look at the eight C's of which we have come to realize that indeed we are trained to disciple. You have the opportunity. In fact, you have the commission, the command, the objective from Christ himself to make disciples. We've passed by the climax of history last week, but the message this morning is no less glorious. It is the reality that sin has been dealt with. And we are, as we were in the beginning, created to be perfect, be holy, and to be in fellowship with our God. Unlike the rest of the messages in this series, our vision this morning turns from what has already taken place to what is yet to happen. As we long for our home, we have a longing for our home. But then we're also looking ahead. You see, what I'm going to do with us this morning as I introduce this third one is come living for the coming day. I want us to look ahead. I want us to long for what heaven has to offer. But I don't want you to be so enamored with heaven that you forget your responsibilities here. Now, I don't know as if you truly understand heaven if that is even possible. But I want you to be put in the right alignment where you realize that all that heaven has to offer is because you've been found faithful on this earth. It's provided by the blood of Christ, but there are so many blessings that will be offered to those who are found faithful before Christ. So this morning we're going to begin here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we look at our longing for our home, but specifically we have to understand why we long for home so bad. And it is because of our present condition. Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, our present condition is this. Paul likens it to a tent. Now, how many of you like to go camping? Okay, we've got the young people. I mean, literally, we have the young people. All the old people are like, no. I like RVs. <laughs> now we're getting some hands. Uh, 
as we think about camping and we think about tents, is that a solid structure? Is that a lasting structure? No, it is not. The tent, which Paul likens to our earthly bodies, is being torn down. It is filled with sickness and disease, all as a result of our original sin. You see, our present condition is that we're a tent being torn down. Literally, we're being ripped out of the ground, ripped from the poles that hold us up. There are those who say that heaven is now. How many of you feel like you're in heaven right now? You know why? Because your tent is being torn down. That's why. You have another side who says that this, is, this life is bad enough. This has to be hell. In fact, we have gone extensively through a study of that. As we recognize that this is not hell either. We recognize, though, that what Paul is saying just before this verse, that the things that we are seeing are temporal. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. He says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are uh, not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What Paul says is heaven and hell, those things are eternal. We're looking for eternal life. What you see today, what you experience today is not heaven and it is not hell. It is temporary. And your body is as a tent being tore down, being ripped apart. C.S. Lewis said that we are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And he goes on, With this incredibly impactful statement, we are too easily pleased. You see what Paul is saying is, we are being ripped down in this earthly tent, and there is more to come. When we understand that we are destined for eternity, does that change the way that you evangelize your friends and your neighbors? I had a young man on Wednesday night, uh, which I spoke to. We had an assembly at the school. He came up. Uh, towards the end of the evening, he came up to me and said, I'm an agnostic. He goes, because I can ride the fence. So there's no fence to ride. It's black or it's white. It's heaven or it's hell in eternity. Because those are the things that are eternal. You see, our present condition is one of despair, but it is temporary. But it is only despair if it were not for the promise. You see, this promise was given to each one who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what we studied last week, was how that was made possible. You see, we look forward to a building. Notice what he says, and I love the way Paul put this. Notice the description. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A building. Now, what? how many of you are willing to sleep in a tent tonight? Again, all the young people. How many of you are going to sleep in a building tonight? Everybody else, including the young people. You see, there's a major distinction between a tent and a building, right? When this earthly body is torn down, we have a promise, and it is given to each one who has come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's been given to each one who has listened to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of works. 
that you, lest any man should boast, that we are given eternal life. You see, we have a building that is coming. Paul was a tent maker by trait. And we see his background coming out. Tents are movable, here today, gone tomorrow. And they tend to fall apart easily. But we look forward to a building built by God. We look forward to a building that is built without hands. But if the building represents the body and the tent represents the body, was our body made with hands? No. So what does Paul mean? Paul is saying that our new body will not be of this creation. It will be a new creation. You will be a new creature in Christ. You see, this means that we are freed from the curse of our present condition. If you have followed this series through, and especially if you were here last week, you know that this is only possible by the sacrifice of our Savior who took your place and mine and died on the cross. If you accept that free gift of the sacrifice, your present condition will pass away, whether it's in the rapture, which you won't officially die, but you'll be given a new body, or whether it is by death, this life will pass away. And in its place, a building built to stand for an eternity. And it indeed will stand for an eternity. But Paul goes on here in verse 2, because he says this, he says, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. You see, we have a future home. And in that future home, we recognize our present reality. That in this home, in this body, which is not our everlasting one, but it is where we're at now, we groan. This present home is sin-stained and it is riddled. We feel sin's effect when we stand up and our knees ache. We feel the pain of cancer and other diseases. It is sin-stained and it is riddled. But greater in severity is the way that our sinful lives inhibit our spiritual growth. You see, you and I are stunted by sin spiritually. You and I can't continue to grow if we continue to indulge in those sinful desires of the flesh. And what Paul is saying is our future home is without those, but right now we groan because of that. Our spiritual growth is stunted. And we agree with Paul that we do what we do not want to do, but we do it anyway. We realize and understand the picture of buffeting our bodies to run the spiritual race with endurance, as Paul addresses. But we also recognize that sin is crouching at the door, and it is waiting to hinder our growth as believers. But our future home is free from the stain of sin, and we long for the clothing of heaven. I hope you long for the clothing of heaven. I saw many of you as we were singing, the roll is called up yonder. Long for the clothing of heaven. But there was another man who did such. Keep your fingers here and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. A man that we have looked at already in our study. Hebrews 11 verse 10. Hebrews 11 verse 10. Speaking of Abraham, this is in the section, this is the 
the hall of faith. This is Abraham's portion in the hall of faith. And speaking of Abraham, it says this, chapter 11, verse 10, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Do you know what Abraham was longing for? The clothing of heaven. When we studied Abraham and we recognize a man who was called out, who was taken to the land of Canaan, who at the end of his life, it is recorded, he died at the ripe old age of 175, full of life. What an incredible statement. And do you know why he was? Because he was longing for the clothing of heaven. He was looking for that day when the roll would be called up yonder. You see, it reminds me that I am not alone in the temporal body that I live in. It reminds me that there is something better. There is a goal to press on. Abraham was looking for an eternal city whose builder and architect is God. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want us to look at our ambition. What is it that motivates us? What causes you to move? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, I hope it is this. It says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. That's one ambition. I want to stop there for just a moment. One ambition. What is it that motivates you to make disciples? Well, pastor, you were preaching on it this week, and I want to make a disciple. Is that what motivates you? I hope not. I hope what motivates you is that you would be found pleasing to the Lord. I hope what motivates you to be here this morning isn't your spouse, isn't your children. It is that you want to be pleasing to the Lord. You see, it is our ambition, it is our privilege to serve the Lord. I am amazed at what the Lord does for us. He reminds us of our future building in this passage, but then He reminds us what we ought to be doing. Our great God understands you and I. Because He understands that while we have a goal, we tend to get lazy. And we tend to get a little bit flabby as we seek to serve Him. But He reminds us that not only do we have a future glory, but there is a reason there is there is something that drives us and motivates us and it is planted in our hearts. We want to please the Lord, to satisfy the Lord. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice verse 10, because we get the second side of this. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One day, you and I will stand before our Savior. And we will give an account for all that was done in this temporal tent. And the test that is given is one question. Did you please the Lord? Did you please the Lord? We have one question on the test. We have one commandment given by Christ Himself. That is, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, to observe all that I have commanded you. 
My question is this. If we have one main objective as a church, as a body of believers, as an individual believer, and we have one main question at the test, do you think it's going to be on the exam? I think so. I think the question is going to relate, did you make disciples? Did you evangelize? Now, not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but all of us have been called to share the message of Jesus Christ. You and I are trained to make disciples. But this is all, as we long for our home, we long for our Savior to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Continue on with me as we now look ahead. Turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I couldn't have a message on heaven without coming to this book. It's impossible. Revelation chapter 21. And I want to give you a glimpse, and then I want to tell you what we must do about it. I set the stage now. I'm going to give you a glimpse of heaven, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you how we live today. Revelations chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. In fact, this verse is very, very similar to what we looked at in 2 Corinthians. Instead of talking about a body, which 2 Corinthians was doing, this is talking about everything that surrounds you today. It's cursed with sin. But there is coming a day when this will be destroyed with an intense heat, Peter tells us. And a new heaven and a new earth will take its place. And that reminds me that we have an eternity without sin. This creation and all that is unredeemed will one day be removed. Eternity will be without sin. A new heaven and a new earth will be perfect, and it will remain that way. And I love the image that is given to us. Let's read it again. In fact, read it for the first time, verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I love the image that John is giving to us. Because the image is of a radiant bride, pure and spotless, prepared for her groom. One without sin and holy in every way. You see, that is an eternity without sin. That is where you and I will dwell. That is our home. That is what we look ahead to. But we also recognize this next step in verse 3. In the end part of verse 2. I'll read verse 2 again. It says, And I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Two aspects here as we... Look in verses 2 through 4. The first one is God living among men. Of all of the blessings of our eternal home, of everything that is radiantly beautiful about our eternal destiny, and as incredible as life will be without sin, you know what I anticipate the most? Living with my God. 
That is what I anticipate the most. But in the flesh I struggle. Because you and I should be, as the prophet who said, I am a man of unclean lips, from a people of unclean lips. You see, we recognize that we are unclean. We recognize that we are not worthy to stand before our God. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I will dwell with our God. What an incredible thing to anticipate. You see, the damage done when Adam and Eve first sin is corrected. And a relationship that we long for, that our soul yearns for, that it craves in the deepest parts, will be realized in its fullness. You know why the world says this is heaven on earth? This is heaven now? Because they want to satisfy what they're craving. But they don't want to do it through the blood of Christ. Instead, they want to satisfy it with this drug or with this drink or with this woman or whatever it happens to be. Because the damage that was done when Adam and Eve sinned is still prevalent now. But there is coming a day when, like Adam and Eve, you and I will walk with our Lord. A starting reality follows this passage, though. Look at verse 8. Because I want to snap us back to the moment. Verse 8, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable, the murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with a fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. You see, you and I have been tasked with a job. The job that you and I have been tasked with is to go make disciples. Now, you don't necessarily have to go to a South American country to do that. I praise the Lord for Belinda and others who do. But you have a missions field right here where you should be sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Are there going to be those who reject you? Yes. If you haven't suffered rejection because you're a Christian yet, go share your faith once. You'll probably have endured it. But continue to share your faith. Last year when our teenagers came back from Dare to Share, I encouraged you to continue to be in prayer for them because they were suffering incredible rejection. But we're not to worry about the rejection because where are we from? Where are we going? We're going to our eternal home, where those things will become rewards for us. But we still mourn for those who are unbelieving and cowardly because they don't come to know Christ as Savior. You see, we see their eternal destiny. We also see our eternal destiny. We're motivated to share the gospel with them, knowing that some will come to know Christ as Savior. Those who reject the Lord in this life will not participate in the incredible blessings and the truth of the matter is that when they would have, the truth of the matter is that they would have nothing in common with the Lord anyway. You know why? Because they said, I want to reject God now. I want to live like I'm in heaven now. I want those things now. Instead of saying, you know what? I recognize that what I crave is a walk with my God. What I crave is holiness to be with my God. Instead of saying that, they say, you know what? We don't really want God. We want to do it our own way. 
So what would life be like for them to walk with God when they don't want Him anyway? So they are separated from Him from eternity. Verse 4 of chapter 21, which I have read already, but I want to read it again because it is so exciting for me. It says, And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will, be no, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful promise. Because the former things are gone. Things that hold us back today, the things that grieve us today, the things that we struggle with, the things that we suffer with now, those things are gone. The effects of sin will have been erased and removed. The incredible pictures of our Lord, notice what He does at the beginning of verse 4, and He, that is the God that we're walking among in verse 3, will wipe away every tear. What an incredible image of God our Father wiping away our tears. Wonderful picture of God's incredible grace, His incredible mercy, and His incredible love. So now that we have a glimpse of heaven, let's come back for living today. Living today, First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, passage that we should be somewhat familiar with. We've studied it in the past. And no doubt if you've been a Christian very long, you've taken comfort in these words. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses five through seven to begin with. And the scripture says In verse 5, For you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Now I want to pull something out of this passage briefly, and then we'll go on. It is this, that you and I are to be alert. You and I are to be alert to the world around us, to what is going on around us. You see, as we wait for our eternal home, we must be anticipating what is lurking in the darkness. The dangers of our dark world are prevalent and they're pervasive. They're attacking every facet of life. In fact, when you go home and you're anticipating the opening weekend of football and you turn on football, guess what? Evil is pervasive in that game because of the commercials. Because of the speech. You see, it is leached into every area of our life. But we know that. As believers, you and I know that. So I have a question for you. If you fall for sin, should we blame God? No. You know it. You know that we should be alert. As a believer, you know that the dangers are there. And so be alert This means that you and I are to make disciples as well, because notice what he says. He says that you and I are of the light. The world is of what? Darkness. But you and I are of light if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You see, we are to make an impact. If you were to shut off the lights, 
and then turn them back on. Guess what? Light has an impact, does it not? It chases away darkness. When the world looks at you as you're alert and ready, what they should see in you is someone who can make a disciple, who can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, who can share the light with them. This means that you and I are to avoid flirting with the darkness. Teasing it, as it were. Because in the reality is that it's seeking to snuff out your light. So we avoid flirting with the darkness and we are pure, letting our light shine before men. But then look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, But since we are of the day, that is the light, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of salvation and lo- of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, Paul gives us a couple word pictures. And the first is the breastplate of faith and love. This is a picture of a piece of armor designed to protect the vital areas, especially the heart and the lungs. As we look forward to heaven, as we live in this dark day, we are to guard our hearts with faith and love. As you preach the gospel, you will be exposed to an attack. So how do you respond? I'm not talking about the word picture, although that's what led me here. I'm talking about your walk with Christ. When you leave these doors in just a few moments, when you leave these doors and you're out sharing the gospel message with somebody and they respond by attack, how do you respond? Paul says it is with faith and love. Not the mushy, touchy, feely kind of love. That's what we... The reason we're starting this series is because of all of those who just say and just proclaim, just trust in Jesus. It's not enough. They need to know why they must trust in Jesus. They need to know the harsh reality of what it is that Jesus did for them. They need to see the blood flowing. That's not mushy. That's not touchy and feely. It's the hard-hitting truth telling kind of love. They need to know it. They need to know that they're a sinner. They need to know that there is an eternal destiny and there is either heaven or there is hell and that it is no middle road. I've shared with you before another young man. I'm amazed at what happens in the youth group. Uh, But I shared with you a story, and many of you have heard it already, but I'm going to share it again, of a young man who came into the youth group. I shared the gospel message with him. We were debating he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in in creation, he's an evolutionist. And so, as we were having this discussion, he gets into the car later. And as he shuts the door in the car, he tells Carly, who had brought him that night, I was okay until he mentioned hell. Do you know why? Because I wasn't willing to give him the touchy-feely kind of love. He needed to know the harsh reality. Do you know why that impacted him so much? Because he knew it. He knew he was not right. So we have, I'm getting ahead of myself now, we have the breastplate, but we also have the helmet, the hope of salvation. Notice the three elements of Christian character, faith, hope, and love. All three of them are mentioned in this passage. We put on the 
the breastplate of faith and love, and we put on the helmet of hope. As we serve the Lord waiting for heaven, we do so with the realization that Christ is soon coming back. This is assured. It's not speculation. It's not, oh, I really hope that this happens. No, this is, I know it's coming back. I just hope it happens right now. That's what this kind of hope is. This is, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get ready because I'm going to be anticipating it. This is what hope is. This is what the hope of salvation is. And notice what it's covering. It's covering the mind. You see, the hope of salvation, which is our helmet, is what motivates us. It is what challenges us. It is where our thinking comes from because we know that this day is short. And so because of that, our actions and our attitudes and our heart's desires are all going to be different because of the hope the helmet of salvation. Knowing this, we serve in such a way as to always keep in mind that Christ is coming soon. I want to ask you a question. Are you making disciples as if Christ were coming back this afternoon? Are you making disciples like I may not even finish this message? Could you stand before your God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Then we get into realizing our calling. Verses 9 through 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this passage says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing You see, in this realization of our calling, we recognize that we must proclaim the gospel. As believers, we understand that God has accomplished everything needed for our salvation. He died on the cross and He rose again. He paid our debt and He made it available for you and I to accept. We realize that the end of the age is coming. Now, if you know Christ as Savior... The coming wrath or the coming tribulation is not for you. You're going to be raptured home, hopefully, before this message ends. You're going to be raptured home. But we are also mindful that many more need to come to know Christ as their Savior. It is for them that we continue to proclaim the gospel. It is for them that we send our missionaries out into the world around us. It is for them that we are willing to be lights to the world around us. And then, I spent a lot of time on that, so I'm going to set that aside now. And then, look at the last verse I read, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. In this study, I've spent an incredible amount of time on the making of the disciples. But there's a second aspect to that, and that is to train them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Do you know how we do that? Belinda spoke about it. We do that by... Mentoring them, discipling them, teaching them to observe Christ's commandments. Teaching them to go make other disciples. This is what encourages us in the dark days when sin is overwhelming us and weighing heavy on us. And it should be encouraging for you to come in here and sing when the roll is called up yonder. 
It should be encouraging for you to come in here and feel the love of Christ among fellow believers. Even if you have nothing in common with them. Other than that. This is what should happen this morning. As we are encouraged by the truth that our home is soon going to be ready for you to enjoy. We leave our study on trained to disciple with a guarantee of something. The guarantee that we are soon headed home. We should never quit singing about heaven. I hope that these hymns ring through your minds. I love the old hymns that sing about heaven. You ever notice something about them? None of them are slow. They're always upbeat. And they're always a joy to sing. And that is just a glimpse of what heaven will be like. While we remain here waiting for the day, we should never, ever quit making disciples. You say, but I don't have a big ring of influence. Well, then look in that ring of influence and see who you can make a disciple. Lead them closer to becoming like Christ. Notice that I didn't say like you. It shouldn't be like you. This should be like Christ. You know, one of the things that frustrates me more about anything else in discipleship is that I notice the guys that I've been discipling start to pick up my habits. That irritates me. I want them to pick up the habits of Christ. That is our motivation. That is what we want. We want to bump them to Christ. We want them to look to Christ. We want them to focus on Christ. We want them to make disciples for Christ. We know there is coming a day when our Savior will examine our lives. And I know that you as well as I want to please our Master. When Christ left the disciples behind, He commissioned them with the task of reaching the world for the sake of the Gospel. Nearly 2,000 years later, that task is not yet done. So our job is to make disciples. What's amazing about it is every generation that's added brings another opportunity and another opportunity. You say, but I'm well past retirement age. I can't make disciples any longer. Oh, that's prime time to make disciples. You say, but I'm young. I can't make disciples. I don't have anything to disciple them with. Well, that's a good time to make disciples too. We should be making disciples, sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with, and then training them to observe all that he commanded us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, as we bow our heads before you this morning, in the quietness of this room, I pray that you would challenge our hearts and our lives to make disciples. Lord, I pray that you'd put in our minds one person who doesn't know you as Savior, that today we would share the message with them. As we anticipate Awana tonight, we recognize the need there to make disciples is absolutely incredible. And, and they're brought to our doors. Lord, I pray that we would make disciples among them, that we'd see these children come to know you as Savior, that we would see them grow in you and develop in you, stand firm in an evil age, 
Lord, as we think about that, we also recognize our parents need to come to know you as Savior. And so I pray that we would be challenged to do that as well. But even if it's not those that are coming for Awana, I pray that you would put someone in our hearts today that we would go share the gospel with. And I pray that some of them would respond and that ultimately all of them would respond and come to know you as Savior. And then equip us, teach us, and train us. Show us how to make those disciples into better followers of you as we become that as well. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This time I'm going to ask if the men who had collected the first offering would come back forward. I mentioned that we were going to take up a love offering for Belinda, and we're going to do that now. Uh, We so deeply appreciate Belinda's ministry, and you and I have a part in that as we have been able to support her all of these years and as we are able to support her more today. So we are going to uh, go ahead and do that. We are then going to, uh, I'm going to then remind you to be here this evening, 7.30, uh, for the evening service. She's going to share some more. She's going to give us a test. So be here and be a part of that this evening. But let's again pray for Belinda and for her ministry and the money that we are about to give to her. Father, we do thank you and praise you that we have an opportunity to provide uh, for just a little bit of the costs of getting here to be with us this morning. I pray that you would use this money for your glory and your honor. Lord, I praise you again for Belinda, and I thank you for her years of faithful service to you. And today, we exalt you because of her ministry. We give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name I pray. Amen.